Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Great. How are you doing? Uh, pretty good. Pretty good. Big win tonight. Big win. Big snowfall. We needed the snow, I guess. So... Lots going right in Edmonton right now. Not everyone looks at a big snowfall as a good thing, but uh, it's been we dry need, here, so we need some uh, some precipitation, uh, ground cover, and we need some something to leach out into the springtime to make it a little less dry for sure. So indeed, Bruce, a huge win for the Edmonton Oilers. They snap a three-game huge. losing streak. They beat uh, division rival LA Kings four to two. In a very um, in a game, the Oilers deserved to win. They were better in all aspects of the game. Grade A shots were thirteen to eight for the Oilers, with the subset of five alarms seven to four for the Oilers. So the Kings, um, the Oilers did a good job job defensively, which is the first one of the first times we can say this this month. And it's one of the, is this the first time they've allowed less than three goals this month? Yes, after ten that, in a row. That wasn't your number, was it? Okay, good. I got lots of numbers, but that wasn't going to be the one. Okay. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast with one conundrum. Bruce, but because it's a um because it's a uh big oilers win, we'll just go with um uh two good things each. Excuse me. I was just looking at a note you wrote on our uh, score sheet. You just thought that the last um we ding McDavid on one of the uh, Fiala's chats at the end. You thought that might be a bit harsh on McDavid there. It's maybe he did all. It was a cross. It, it was a pretty sharp pass to the point from the corner though. That anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was. This is our private discussion. I, I argued earlier with you that McDavid should have got a. Um, so it's not a biased thing at all. It's just different opinions on a particular player. Yeah. No, we both. We're both biased in favor of McDavid <laughs> and all the Oilers players. I don't, I don't see us hating on any of them, honestly. Now and then, perhaps. Uh, Bruce, what's your first good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with Stu Skinner, uh, who, for all that, he didn't face a huge number of of uh, uh, real high quality shots by our counts. He nonetheless faced 40 shots, and Ooh. he faced a lot of them through traffic. And, um, uh, you know, with lots of guys buzzing the tower and, uh, you know, pretty tense in, in and around the net. Uh, but I, I'll go back specifically to the uh, crucial turning point of the game, which was uh, L.A. got a five-on-three power play. Already leading 2-1 uh, midway in the second period. And... Uh, the Oilers killed off most of the first one, which was a, a very dicey holding the stick penalty on Evan Bouchard, which Bouchard didn't see it that way, and I'm not sure I did either. The guy kind of got a stick in and couldn't pull it out. Well, usually they call that hooking, but this was holding the stick. But anyway, they almost had that killed off, and then uh, uh, Vincent Aharne carelessly high-sticked the guy in the in the corner. And L.A. had a two-man advantage for just 24 seconds. 
Uh, but in those 24 seconds, they had three lethal potentially shots. Uh, Adrian Kempe, you know, <clears throat> in alone, was a two-on-one, and he chose to shoot, and then he got the rebound. And Skinner made two huge saves right in a row there. And then there was another great chance just a few seconds after that uh, on the same uh, power play uh, where uh, uh, it was a, um, well, still a five on three and that cross seam pass caught the guy in the high slot. Can't remember who it was who was the shooter on that. But again, another wicked drive and a terrific save by Skinner. And that was the point that it seemed like the crowd got into the game. I mean, I don't know if people were at the game. You can tell me better. But uh, it seemed like it, it, you know, the crowd was kind of in the doldrums a little bit. And so were the Oilers. And when they killed that penalty, it was a different dynamic thereafter. And, of course, Edmonton scored uh, the, the next three goals to win it 4-2. And Skinner completely slammed the door the rest of the way. And I thought he looked strong he looked confident and uh i thought he did not quite perfect but good job of, of controlling his rebounds and freezing pucks in all that traffic and uh for dessert he made a beautiful little outlet pass on the 4-2 goal which you're going to talk about more but it was uh there was too many passes thereafter for him to get an assist but it was uh he started to play uh, right from behind the yeah. net with a with a good first pass, and uh, it was uh, just sort of icing on the cake of uh, what I thought was a really fine bounce back game from the netminder. Very good to see. Yeah, yeah he started off that virtuous cycle. Um, he looked like his old self. The Kings, I thought, were early on, especially taking lots of hard outside shots at him because they've probably been watching the recent games mm -hmm. where he's been sh um, iffy on outside shots. They were they were firing away uh, tonight, and uh, but he was solid. He looked like his old self suddenly, just like the Oilers did all of a sudden. They kind of, <laughs> aside from a few major defensive gaffes on both goals against. Both goals. Yeah. Both goals against were horrendous mistakes honestly just By both defensemen and each case, yeah so. yeah just just both um yeah anyway we'll, we'll talk a little bit about that later but uh or a lot but um skinner would just look solid steady and um he's a Stuart skin of the orders um need in the playoffs bruce my first good thing will be zach hyman I thought he was the Oilers' driver tonight as much as any player. He was in the middle of almost every uh, good moment, starting with um, first really good play of the game for the Oilers. He wins the puck in the corner, puck protects, and gets a backhand shot, which he puts off the post. A moment later, McDavid uh, makes a beautiful uh, pass to him, and he harpoons it in the net one-timer shot. For Edmonton's first goal near the end of the first period, which was just a, such a critical moment in the game to tie it up. Um, McDavid uh, wrapped around a, a, a shot in the second, and Hyman was there, Johnny, in the spot. He almost put that in. Then his hustle dra draws a penalty, and the Oilers cash in on that power play. Then early in the third, with the game tied right. at two, he makes a critical screenplay on the goalie, upsetting the goalie on Bouchard's outside bomb. 
And um, upset him, all right. <laughs> he sure did. He sure did. And a moment later, he digs out the pocket, and sets up dry settle for a great shot. So he was just again and again and again making fantastic plays, Zachheim. And he's got it. He looks healthy, and it's critical that Zachheim and remain healthy. Like last year, he was so good all season long, and then he got. I think he got banged up in the last twenty games. Yep. Wasn't very good in them, and then he wasn't very good in the playoffs. So. Yep. Yeah, um, he was he was critical well player under 100% down the stretch. Last yeah, time. critical player for the Oilers, and he is sure playing well now. It's great to see because he's he's he seems like just a genuinely outstanding human being, and um, he's a genuinely outstanding hockey player in the NHL. Writes kids books in his spare time. What's not to like? <laughs> exactly, Bruce. So, exactly. Anyway, 38 goals in uh, 56 games, so he's on pace for. At least 55, it might round up to 56 uh, uh, goals uh, if he plays uh, the full season. And actually, I think he missed a game earlier, but the team's played 56, so he should be, uh, uh, he's well comfortably on pace for 50, even if he slows down a bit. And if he's going to be playing with um, McDavid and, and at times Drysaddle and on Oilers' first power play, you know he's going to keep getting chances and just... He's going to keep getting chances just based on what he does himself. He creates chances, solo chances, by winning puck battles and just driving it hard to the net. Well, Bruce, he he leads the Oilers in grade-A shots per game. Last year it was McDavid. Mm-hmm. So this year, let me just go to the chart that I did up. He's getting 2.6 grade-A shots per game. Dreisaitl and McDavid are next, 2.1 each. Um, so that's... If you're getting more grade-A shots at net than McDavid and Drysaddle each game, you know you're doing something right. Uh, what's your second good thing, Bruce? Yeah, I'll go with Leon Drysaddle, who I thought had a terrific, especially second half of this game. I thought he really lost uh, this game. Uh, and he uh, he earned, uh, well, he scored the tying goal on the power play. The Oilers got a power play after the Kings had failed on their two-man power play, Edmonton got one power play uh, in the second, and it took them all of, uh, what do we got here? Uh, 15, 13 seconds to score. And it was just one cycle, and I think they had a shot, and then they had, they cycled again. They came back to uh, Evan Bouchard, and he fired a good low outside shot uh, just he just wristed it in, you know. It wasn't like let's pass and pass and pass and pass. Let's get pucks on net, and he got it on net, and he got it within range where Drysdale could get a stick on it, and he tipped it right through the knees of uh, Riddick uh, to tie the game at uh, at two two. Uh, and then he was involved also in the winning goal, uh, teeing up Bouchard uh, with a, with just. Basically, he did that, put it on the tee for Bouchard to let fly with a rocket of a shot from the blue line that overpowered Riddick. Uh, but more than that, like Drysaddle was just, he, he had his legs going. I thought he was good on the back check. Uh, he was bringing it hard. There was one play where he went one-on-one. He went almost right around Drew Doughty and powered a one-handed shot on net. That was, uh, you know, almost a partial breakaway. And he wasn't able to, you know, pick a corner with it or anything, but he got a lot of mustard on it. And, and uh, uh, I, 
I just liked his uh, his uh, intensity, and I've, I have a feeling that he sort of might have had a look in the mirror maybe Sunday morning or so after the Calgary game when he took that bad penalty and he owned it after the game that it was, you know, just a dumb play. And he played like a guy who was feeling a little guilty maybe. Anyway, he brought his A game, and I thought he was uh, – he got more dominant as the game went along. So he had five shots on net in this game to uh, lead the Oilers and also goal assist. And just he was 60% on the dot, but only five faceoffs this game. The refs booted him out even more often than usual, I guess, because he got, uh, and of course, uh, he and McDavid both on the same line, they both take the draws. So, but. Uh, uh, I just thought uh, uh, he was he was strong throughout, and uh, a big part of the reason Edmonton uh, was able to take over and and eventually walk off with the two points. He was really good. That was his best game in some time, yes. and it's good good to see. You know, it's a long it's a long regular season, yes. and I think what we're seeing in February is a little bit of that. This. Uh, just the length and the the wear of the season. You know, the playoffs are still a little like the the trade deadlines yet to be here. Things change after the trade deadline and you get to March. And I think you can see the playoffs in your sights and you start gearing up for that. So uh, I think a little bit of the inconsistency and poor play from the team and players like Dry Settle has been related to that. But I, I think you're right, Bruce. He he uh, he had tons of motivation and um he was he just was a bull out there. He led the team with eight major contributions to grade A shots this game. So he was their best mm-hmm. offensive player um, by quite a bit, I thought, actually. He was just a, a straw that stirred the drink on the attack, he and Hyman. Um, my second good thing, Bruce, is the insurance goal. This game was in doubt. It was a close game. It was a hard-fought game. The Nugent Hopkins line of Kane... Uh, Janmark and Nuge um, had played a fairly quiet game. They they had sought it off. They hadn't gotten much done in the attack, but they gave up very little um, in terms of grade A shots, um, where they made mistakes at least. They were they were doing okay, playing a, a fairly solid game. Nuge himself, I thought, was over aggressive on the five on three. He won the a big face off on that five on three, and they got it down the ice. But both he and Cece attacked the man at the blue line. Um, on the Kings' ensuing rush up the ice, which left, and when they when the uh, passer beat their their double team, they had a two on one down low. I just thought like this was tip. This is typical Oilers PK madness in the last little while, where they've just been overly aggressive and loosey goosey. And um, Campy got his great shot, and then I thought Nuge did it again. He kind of rushed into the corner, abandoning the slot. Um, on the on the ensuing just right next right after that and then there was a wide just an absolute zinger of a shot and I can't remember who made it either that Skinner got a wee piece of and it didn't go in so he had he made a great face off win but then again over aggressive anyway um, the good thing is he made up for all of that by just a fantastic play to get the insurance goal. Skinner starts it off getting the puck behind the net, making a fairly difficult play under pressure to put it around the boards. Uh, I think it's Kulak who then gets it, puts it up, um, and, and another fairly difficult play under pressure, puts it up to Janmark, 
who kicks it off his skate to Nugent Hopkins. Nuge, Nuge um, takes it to the open ice, like all good players should do, charges up the ice to the open ice, makes a pass, drop pass to Connor Brown, and chart goes for the net. And Connor Brown makes a very, very nice finesse play, sliding the puck through the Kings defender to Nugent Hopkins, who slams it in. It was a fantastic rush goal. It was absolutely brilliant, it, and it gave the Oilers that that buffer that they needed to get through the last couple of minutes, get the win. Yeah, they they did a lot of fundamental things right in the third period. I thought in terms of getting pucks out, getting them in, getting them deep, and you know taking shots on net, but no silly drop <clears throat> passes or cross ice or passes back towards their own net that they're not sure they're going to get through. You know, they, they, they managed the game really smartly. And this play was an extension of that where they actually, because they sort of gained the manpower advantage on the excellent breakout, that they, uh, you know, made a really sweet play on net to to finish it off and finish the game off, basically, in, in the process. But I, w- I was encouraged by Oilers' overall play with the puck in the third period, give or take. Ryan McLeod's icing. Thirty seconds left. But. Six to one for grade A shots. Six to one for grade A shots in the third, and the only one coming um, right at the end when Fiala got an outside shot that I think was screened by Kulak, and uh, was a difficult shot. Uh, so Bruce, let's move on to the bad things. What's your bad thing? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm not. You may have picked one. You go first. Okay, well, I'll, I'll take the first goal against if you okay. want to take the second. I mean, sure. I don't know if you want to take that, but it was pretty bad too. So, Nurse and Cece, for at least a month, and I think Darnell for a little longer than that, have been really struggling on defense. And I haven't gone through the numbers yet in detail, but Darnell Nurse has been leaking grade A shots against on defense for, for some time now. And I don't know what the issue is, but... Um, he's got us, he's got, they've got to figure this out. You can't have your shutdown defensive pairing playing this way, um, in the playoffs. It'll kill the Oilers. And, um, it, um, it may lead to a trade before then. I think it's probably going to, I think this is where this is headed because I think that the Oilers are realizing just now that CC and nurse you can't count on them to get it done as a shutdown pairing. And the first goal was a case in point. It's off a face-off and the puck's kind of moving around and there's an outside shot that rebounds um, out. And Derek Ryan is slow. I think it's to Byfield. Uh, I'm not quite sure. I think it's to Byfield. And anyway, Byfield makes a very nice play. Charges in, gets the rebound off the boards. Ryan's not to him quickly enough in time. And, and instead of just slamming it on net, he kind of puts it across the ice, makes a nice pass. And it goes through both. CC and Nurse right through both of them and, and worse really because so you're going to miss the pass now and then on a bang bang play but they're not taking anybody they're yeah. not covering fundamentally they, they they shouldn't be playing the puck they should be playing the men in front of the net and neither of them are and there's a wide open shooter Trevor Moore at the side of the net on Nurse's side of the net and he puts it in he's unmolested Mm-hmm. So you have their two shutdown defensemen. Neither is taking the man in front of the net on a net play. It's not, Brissette is not acceptable for shutdown NHL D men. 
especially really veteran ones. And I don't know what it is. I can't pinpoint it because they were playing pretty well before that for six weeks. But the last six weeks, no, they've been leaking, leaking, leaking. So not good. Yeah, that was uh, it was a, a very unexpected pass by Byfield. It was. I thought like I, I, it really looked like he was driving towards the net and he just kind of pulled it back into the not hard either. It was just sort of a, a chip pass. I'm not sure if he might not have whiffed on it a little bit, but maybe he did pull it back and right across the slot. Nobody was expecting it, at least of all CC and Nurse. And CC was closer with them to him, had very little time to react, but uh, Nurse could have played better for sure, both the pass and at least, you know, pick a man, maybe the goal scorer would be a good idea. <laughs> would have been a thought. Yeah, and I know it happens fast. Hockey happens so fast and before you know it. But you, this is it. Like, this is why they're, you train yourself in the fundamentals. Yeah. So you're th- always just thinking, okay, I'm in front of the net now and, and the puck's around. I'm just going to take a man. I'm taking a man and mm-hmm. going to lift his stick if it comes to him. And, and that's how you play it. So you're not trying to react because you can't react. It happens too fast. You have to have proper positioning and proper uh, thought process, proper habits. And I didn't see that, especially, I think, Nurse on Moore himself. So that's my bad thing. What's yours, Bruce? Yeah, I'll go with the other goal then. <clears throat> and again, it was two defensemen that were sort of the primary culprits on the play. Uh, one being Matthias Ekholm, who uh, the second game in a row this happened, where he had full possession of a puck and he just sort of dumped it into the neutral zone and he didn't even dump it to a place where they had to chase it down. It went right to the Kings and they just came surging right back over the line. And... Who was the guy? Uh, was Roy? That I don't remember who went had it. Around, but... Went right around Bouchard, like a hoop around a barrel, as, uh, as uh, my old coach Howie Meeker used to say. Hoop around a barrel. <laughs> went oh, around my God. Like a hoop what a... around a barrel. And Evan Bouchard was the first star of this game, did not earn that first star on this particular sequence. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and then they took it, took it in... Uh, 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 with the odd man advantage and, and Ekholm was unable to cut out the pass and it was ultimately slammed in by the dangerous what's your first name young man Alex Laferriere not Laferriere Laferriere I see this guy I hear his name and I keep thinking Ian Laferriere is still playing for the Kings but no <laughs> this is Alex Laferriere who uh not a noted goal scorer this was his eighth of the campaign uh, a nice pass by Kopitar who's made a few of those over, over the years but uh, was just a play where uh, those guys got exposed and this was Edmonton's entire first unit that was on the ice and they just got opened up like I have no business idea what Evan Bouchard was thinking on that play Bruce it was like it was it maybe was the lamest defensive play of the year uh-huh. it was so bad like he just he wasn't even close to making the play he wasn't even he was he was he threw himself out of position it was this weird flyby mm-hmm. you know where the guy's coming in and he just kind of he kind of, it was so beer league. It was, it was extraordinary. <laughs> it was, it was so bad. It was the kind Recognized of play that I might it, make. <laughs> Yeah, it was just, yeah, it was, you'd see it three or four times a game in beer league. Well, 
but you don't expect to see it in the NHL. Like it was, yeah. it was shocking. And I, so bad that I thought he might get benched. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was at that level. It's like, what is going on? But he was, he, otherwise, otherwise oh, he was excellent this game. Yeah. He was moving, he the, passing the puck so well, moving the puck so well. He was in on like the two goals, like just great shot, a great shot, two great shots, you know, the one dry, subtle tip. You know, he, 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 he had a phenomenal game otherwise, but man, alive, what a play. I couldn't believe that I saw it. Yeah, well, I think what he was probably thinking was, oh, no, what have I done? But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah, so. part of his problem was that his partner just kind of, I mean, he did get it over the blue line, but not into a good place at all. Like he didn't make the Kings do any kind of reset. Oh, he just echo sure. yeah he just yeah, dumped it right great, too but come on there's nothing that happens on that play without Boucher. no no uh, and then and then bruce he stopped uh, skating and he stopped i think he also stopped skating on the play because he might have been able like the play goes in it's and mcdavid tries to make the play and it goes kind of off him and it bounces back kind of out of the order zone it's going a little bit and and a player hops on it and i think that was bouchard's man it, you know so he was he three he not only got beat he he didn't recover and right, that was a really bad play. That's all I'm saying. Fair enough. Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, I'll go with the number 70. And that's the number of points now that Edmonton Oilers have. Uh, in a very tight race for second, third, and fourth in the Pacific Division, with Vegas currently in Vancouver's in first with 82 in the 60 uh-huh. games. Vegas second with 71 and 58 games. Now, Edmonton's pulled out of a tie with uh, L.A. They both came into this game with 68, but Edmonton's got 70. Kings got nothing tonight, so they're still at 68. And Edmonton's played 56 games, L.A. 57. So the Oilers have a game in hand and a two-point lead on the Kings, two games in hand and a one-point deficit on the on the, on the Vegans, and so they've got an actual better points percentage, 625 to 612, so the second best points percentage. And now they are 12 points behind Vancouver with four games in hand, so it's a bit of a distance, but uh, um, they're still sort of within shouting distance. Be nice so, to get to first, but it's really hard to do that. Yes. How many times have we said the Oilers have been had a better percentage than Vegas this year, but they're just a point or two behind. It seems like we've gone to this point. We've been here for four or five while. times. Been here yes. for a while. Yeah. And I mean, they've had games in hand the whole time. So they've been, you know, they caught, caught Vegas in percentage, what, a month ago? Mm-hmm. Better price, you know, at the end of the winning streak. And coming into tonight's game, in the last 10 games, all of Vancouver, Vegas, and Edmonton were four, five, and one in their last ten games, so they're all kind of spinning their wheels. And only L.A. and Calgary have been catching up over that time. So the you know the division has tightened, but um, uh, they've uh, uh, they've basically been running in place with uh, well Vegas in particular, that they're like yeah. you say constantly slightly ahead in percentage, slightly behind in points, and we're back there again right now yeah Vegas of course has some injuries right now with Stone and Eichel both out so yep 
Bruce, my number is 10. It's 10 games now that Connor McDavid's gone without scoring a goal. And so I dug into it and mm-hmm. I was surprised I was surprised at what I found. Because like the I everyone's yelling shoot 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 at the player right like that's we all think he's not shooting enough (laughs) but when you look at the numbers i mean you look at shot attempts okay shots at net not shots on they don't they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily hit the net but he's almost got as many this year shot attempts per game as he had last year last year he averaged and this is before tonight last year he averaged 6.5 shots at net per game this year he's at 6.2 shots at net it's not that far off. So he is shooting. He's mm-hmm. just not shooting very well. And the other number that stands out is his grade A shots per game. So although he is getting more, he's getting a similar number of shots at net per game. He had 3.1 grade A shots per game last year. This year it's 2.1 grade A shots per game. That is a significant decline. He's having more, he's missing the net more. He's having more shots blocked than last year. Uh, on a rate basis and his rate of grade A shots has gone down significantly, like 30%. So um, the question is what, what's up? Yeah. And um, so I have, I have two theories that he, he's nursing an injury that, that somehow allows him to still create all kinds of great scoring chances and put up all kinds of points, but doesn't allow him to shoot. And when you think of, when you think that one through, I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe it does, but I what I think is happening is I just think other teams became hyper alert of Connor McDavid as a shooting threat. They saw how Vegas played the Oilers last year in the playoffs with the zone defense. He's just getting zone defensed to death. I think every other every other team is just so ready for him. Packing so, the slot, eh? Yeah, so ready for him to attack the slot that he is being shut out more than last year of the inner slot because they know he will he's going to feast on them if they give him that so it's job one two and three for any team you're going to face the Edmontoners job one two and three keep Connor McDavid out of the inner slot so he's taking more shots he's taking this similar number of shots but they're from further out and from not as good angles or not he doesn't have as much time to make them that's my theory but I can't say for sure that's what's happening I'm not certain about it but that's my theory now, well, this tweeted from Tom Gazzola tonight during the game, quote, shoot it, unquote, coming from Oilers Hockey Ops booth at press box level, right before McDavid passes to Hyman for his 38th goal of the season, because he was in the slot, and I said the same thing, shoot, and he passed it off, and of course, Hyman's got a lot of net to shoot at, and he puts it in, Yeah. so uh that's for all those who think he should shoot more often, but that was straight out of the Oilers hockey ops box, apparently. And David had a humorous quote today. He says mm-hmm. he's, he's yeah, going to not, not score again, not shoot anymore. He's deadpan, being, eh? Yeah, he Absolutely was good. Absolutely deadpan. Yeah. He only had so, two shots tonight. Yeah, I noticed his shots per game rate was lower, and then I read your post and went, holy cow. When you when you were talking about his number of shot attempts, so I looked it up on under uh, Hockey Reference, uh, they have under each player's stat NHL extra stats, and that keeps track of the of the shots that were blocked, and the missed shots, and it shows the percentage of shot of shot attempts that actually get through onto the net, and the last four years before this year, McDavid was at 62, 64. 
65, 66%, a little better each year of his shot. Like last year, literally two out of every three shot attempts that he made were on goal. Yeah. And this year it's plummeted to 53.6%. It's like down 10%, the number of percentage of his shots that are on the target. What do you think, Bruce? What's your, do you have a theory or just going to just? Well, I, I don't think he's shooting the puck as well. As he did last doesn't year. doesn't look like, like he, it, does yeah, it? He was picking his spots last year, and he was getting them through screens, and he was picking corners and overpowering mm-hmm. goalies. And and this year, uh, he doesn't seem to have quite the zip on the shot, and whether there's a physical reason for that or he's not feeling it. Last year, he really was feeling it, and I got the sense from early days in the season last year that he wanted to win that Rocket Richard trophy at least once, and yeah. he was going for it. And, of course, he got it. And in the process, he became the first player of the century uh, to lead the NHL in goals and assists in the same year, first mm-hmm. since Mario in uh, 96. And something that's only been done, what, 13 times in NHL history? Your man Howie Morenz being among the guys who have done it. Of course, the great Gretzky five different times. But uh, uh, he... Uh, uh, so he, he got that feather in his cap. This year, it seems like he's going for the 100 assist mark, and he's uh, setting up, I mean, his last 10 games now, 0 23 for 23 points. I'd love yeah. it if he got 100 assists. That would be fantastic, <laughs> though. Like, yeah, I really well, would. He's up to uh, uh, 70 on the season. To, that was his, yeah, it was his 70th assist in game number 56. So he's on pace for, what, 103 right in there? Sweet. So nice. Yeah. Nice. Let's yeah. see if he does it. Yeah, I hope so. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I think there are teams packing the slot more. Like he's also, didn't you say he had way fewer breakaway shots this year? Yeah, it was 25 last year and seven so far this oh, year. I know. I mean, it's not so even that's the another same area code. Yeah. Like they're, they're, they're playing him different. They're, they're not, they're tr- trying to not give him open ice to work with. It's, I think they're really making Keep a concerted, concerted effort. And I think I, I think that they, because I think Vegas made such a indelible mark in people's um, conception of how to defend McDavid, that I think there is a lot of borrowing going on. I think it is more difficult for, for him to, to do his stuff. And so he can't get into the slot, so he's moving around and making more passes to set up other people. And Hyman can get in there. and uh, So McDavid's more like putting it at net or towards Hyman. And that seems to be working pretty well. So he's sticking with that. He's a very smart hockey player. So, you know, I, I just think if you are yelling, shoot, shoot, like he, he is shooting. Like that's not the problem. He just mm-hmm. can't get those great, as great a shots off right now for one reason or another. And uh, that's what we're speculating about. Bruce, for a conundrum tonight, I think until the trade deadline, we're going to be sticking with trade conundrums. And so um, the latest rumors are Carrick and Adam Henrique from Anaheim. Um, uh, Elliot Friedman speculated, and this was high speculation. Like he was clear this was speculation. Well, Anthony Mantha, um, a former Detroit Red Wing under Ken Holland from uh, who's now with Washington and um, Alex Carrier from from Nashville. And I think um, the interesting thing 
was there was a debate between and we and we talked about this. We touched on this the other night about whether they need another goalie, and um, I don't think they're going to go in that direction. So we have a little bit more evidence. The, the clock's ticking down here. I I think they're going. I think they are making a deal for a defenseman, mm-hmm. and I think that's going to be. I think it's actually their number one need. I don't think this defense is good enough to win the Stanley Cup. I think they need another puck-moving defenseman. Your take? Well, they got a few needs. I mean, I saw uh, somebody say they had seven gaping needs today. Seven? Uh, I've I've heard five, but uh, seven seems excessive. But... uh, and you know all they need is sort of a uh you know top six goal scoring winger preferably hall of fame caliber top four right shot defenseman preferably hall of fame caliber a good backup goalie preferably hall of fame caliber who can step in and not only take skinner's job but go on and win the cup right Uh uh-huh right it's not jake allen now is it so and it's you know anyway and uh I don't course, think they're getting Gensel. A, a right-shot pivot yeah. uh, who can win draws and kill penalties and lay on the body and it's big and it's fast, you know. That guy's a dime a dozen. Yeah. And uh, They can get right one sh- player with salary and one player who earns no like little salary. That's where they're yeah. at. Yeah, that's what they did last year, and they had to move a couple of pieces around to make room yeah. for salary, and they brought on Ekholm as the salaried player who had term. And that was a great acquisition. And then they, uh, you know, had to do a little smoke and mirrors to bring on Nick Bugstad, uh, who checked an awful lot of boxes for the team last year, and especially at the low, low, low price of $450,000 cap hit when half of his salary was retained. That was just ridiculous. He was three hundred grand below the minimum. And so they brought him on. They didn't have to move a roster player to make room for him. And... Uh, so that kind of a deadline, uh, and there's not a lot of space. Like Adam Henrique makes $5.8 million. So even if they retain half, where do you get $2.9 million in cap room? Right? Do you trade a draft pick to some other team to get them to retain some? Or do you dump a player? I mean, the Oilers, according to Puckpedia, if they don't trade until the deadline because each day's cap space is accruing, uh, they'll have uh, a little under $2.4 million. They'll be able to add a player making that much. Of course, they they only have to pay him for the last 41 days of the season if they get him on the deadline. But if you just keep in terms of what's the annual cap hit they could take on, it's about that much. Well, if you move out a player and bring on a two you could bring on a you know a 3.4 million dollar player if you moved out a 1 million dollar player the other way like popular choice Matthias Janmark uh so uh if they retained on half on Henrik and you traded you know Matthias Janmark to bring him bring him over then there's just barely room for him but then there's not much room for anything else uh Ah, I my prediction is Bruce they're gonna go hard after Tanev, and ha- mm-hmm. hard after Sam Carrick. Who, and I don't know anything about Carrick, but that's the name the you know the fourth line center from Anaheim. 
So that's or, or or it could be Tanev and the guy from Washington nicked out. Like those two players, I think are. I don't see them getting Gensel. There's just too many other options, and including teams that want to sign him for next year. So they have uh-huh. far more incentive than the Oilers to give up a bit more for Gensel. Um, would Gensel even come here? That's another question. So my prediction is it's going to be Carrick or Dowd and uh-huh. Tanev. And Tanev. Well, Sam Carrick is a right shot center. He's 32 years old, so almost veteran enough for Holland. Uh, he's played all of 221 games in his <laughs> career, so a fairly late, uh, late uh, bloomer. Boomer. You know, he's been been around the edges for years, but only in the last three years has he been close to a regular. On a terrible and, Anaheim team. Yeah. Yeah, so he's got a big double-digit minus every year. He's got uh, 88 penalty minutes uh, and eight goals, three assists, minus 11. And, you know, that's... uh, uh, But minuses on Anaheim probably don't tell us a whole lot because the whole team would be... That's it, right? It's hard to know. And and, uh, as for uh, Adam Henrique... uh, and Carrick's salary is $850,000, so that works. Uh, as for uh, Adam Henrique, he's fourth on the team in scoring. He's 34 years old, uh, 16 goals, 22 assists, 38 points in 57 games. And that's, you know, he's not playing with superstars, no matter what line he's on. You know, Frank Petrano's their leading scorer. He's pretty good, you know. Uh, Troy Terry, Mason McTavish, Adam Henrique, Ryan Strom, but there aren't any McDavid's or Dreisaitl's on that list. And so decent production. He's been a good player for a long time, Adam Henrique, and uh, uh, he can do a lot of things. He can play center, wing. Uh, I understand he kills penalties out there. Uh, and uh, I remember watching him play uh, in the World Championships, uh, Canada's shocking gold medal win in uh, uh, in 2021. He was on a line with uh, Andrew Manjupani and Connor Brown, and they absolutely crushed it at the World Championships, the three of them. And, and they had fantastic chemistry, and they kept scoring these great goals that helped Canada win by one. And they, they made a strong <laughs> impact on uh, this observer. And uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, older guy. He'd be a nice pickup. He'd be, sure. Yeah, he'd be a very nice pickup. And you might, you know, he would certainly strengthen the, the middle six. Let's put it that way, wherever you wherever you deployed him. Could you, yeah, could you get both Tanev and Henrik? Could you figure, you'd have to move out CC or Kulak. I think if you were to do that, and even yeah. then it would be a stretch. Well, we'll see you what happens. Ret- you need retention, yeah. or you need to move somebody with real salary, like uh, Fogel, you know. Yeah. And how bad do you really right. want to do that? You don't want to trade Warren Fogel. He's he's right. playing really well. Or 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 a different defenseman. In which case, you're not getting any more depth on defense, but you're just getting a different defenseman. Well, they might have to do that. Because unless this CC and Nurse can turn it around, um, I'm you know I've never been on that train. This the you know that they they can't get it done. But I don't know. Like and other people have pushed that for a long time. That yep. you know they, that's not the right idea. 
But I'm coming around to it, Bruce. I hate to say it. I just not sure mm-hmm. that between them, they're gonna they're gonna get it done in the playoffs. Um, and I'm not sure that Tanev is the answer. I, I like the idea more of a puck moving defenseman with Nurse, like a really smart puck mover, and get that puck going in the right direction. I wish Kulak was a right side guy because he might fill the bill. Um, but anyway, um, we're hearing a lot of the same names. It's interesting. Like they keep coming up again and again and again. Mantha was a new name today, but that was just speculation. And I don't think the owners are going to make make that trade. I don't see them actually. I don't think he's expensive too. He's expensive. He's got a big contract. I think does he might he's even he, have more years on his deal. So he's a huge guy and he's got a reputation <clears throat> of being an underachiever. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's one of those guys that's got a, you know, a high peak. Uh, do they really need Rod Settlebauer? Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm just, I, I, I remember something. I think it, it must've been Teddy Green who said this about, one of the players, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember who the guy was, and and uh, he said the, the scouts were telling me they were they were envisioning the peak that this guy may might have, and he said when I watch him, all I see is clouds at the mountaintop. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, he uh, uh, they've got. Uh, they, Ron Settlebauer. I think, think Ron Settlebauer. Settlebauer, yeah. Yeah, Ron sure Settlebauer. Was. Uh, yeah. Vancouver, right? He scored 40 goals one year, if I'm not mistaken. Let me just have a look here. Ron Settlebauer. Born 1954. Yeah, my generation. 40 goals and 16 assists one year. 78-79 <laughs> for the Canucks. Oh. There you go. Yeah. All right, Bruce, let's leave it there. Let's leave it there. They got what are they? Wednesday is the next game. Wednesday against St. Louis, who they owe a little debt from about two weeks ago, and the uh, Blues beat them down six three uh, on strength of a four goal second period and a fine performance by Jordan Binnington, and so they they have a couple debts to pay on Wednesday. And let's hope they can come up with another strong showing and salvage at least five points out of the five game homestand. That would be excellent. Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.